on page 1183 of the Church Bibles. On your way in, you would have got a uh, little handout that's got an outline of the talk on the inside as well. Might be helpful to have that with you as well. Colossians chapter 1. Now we're looking at verses 15 to 23. As we begin, I'll lead us in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word uh, that uh, tells us what we need for salvation. And we thank you that your word has shown us the, the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray now that as we look at your word, uh, your spirit would, working in our hearts, uh, causing us uh, to believe that Jesus is Lord and to trust and follow him. And we ask this in his name. Amen. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in still another village where he worked in a carpenter's shop until he was about 30 years old. Then for three years he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book, never held an office, he never had a family or owned a home, he didn't go to college, never visited a big city, he never traveled more than 200 miles from the place he was born. He did none of the things that are usually associated with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. And while he was dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. The centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race and the leader of mankind's progress. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man on earth as much as that one solitary life. That's what one anonymous, one anonymous author wrote about Jesus more than a hundred years ago. It bears thinking about, doesn't it? Many people have a great respect for Jesus as a moral teacher, as a practitioner. Now, many people revere him as a religious leader, as a prophet or a guru. Many people don't even know, don't know who he really is. Because it's not enough just to look at him from the outside, to look at his life and look at the effects. We need to know what God says about him in order to be able to grasp his true significance. And that's what I'd like us to do together this morning. Going through a part of the Bible written under God's inspiration by a man named Paul. Paul had 
lived around the time of Christ in the first century AD. Initially, he had been very antagonistic towards Christianity. In fact, he would go around and, and, and try and get Christians put in jail because of their faith. But one day, this poor met Jesus Christ, and his life was never the same. He was transformed from being a persecutor of the church to being someone who went around the whole Roman Empire telling people about Jesus. And he in turn ended up in jail for his faith. And from his prison cell, he wrote this letter to the Christians who were in a town called Colossae to help them understand how great Jesus is. To understand why Jesus is supreme. Now, when we say something is supreme, we usually mean that it comes with ham, cheese, mushrooms, salami, olives, and optional anchovies. Is that right? Yeah. right? But that's not what this passage is saying. It's saying that Jesus Christ is the ultimate in greatness. Can't get anything or anyone greater than he. Have a look at me. Have a look with me, rather. At verse 15. It says... He is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. Now, that's a bit of a paradox, isn't it? Image, invisible. How can something invisible have an image? Oh, yes, it can. Uh, even in our level of experience, we see that happens. Uh, when I was at university, one of the subjects I studied was microbiology. It wasn't my favourite subject. Um, in fact, it was awful. Especially, it's one of those subjects you have to spend all this time looking down a microscope. Microscopes, for those who haven't done microbiology, microscopes are lots of fun for the first few minutes. Right? And then it just hurts your neck. And I could never see what I was meant to see anyway. And when I could see it, I was meant to draw it, which I couldn't do anyway. So, but I did learn something from microbiology. Bacteria are invisible. Right? Bacteria are invisible. My parents spent lots of money since so I could learn that. But, when you look down the microscope, I can see them. For the microscope lens bends the rays of light that passes through it into an image that I can see. I can see the image of bacteria. Bacteria invisible, but what I can see really is bacteria. Now, it's not exactly the same but Jesus Christ is the image of God. You and I can't see God. We can't feel him, we can't hear him, we can't touch him. He, he, he's invisible, we can't see him. But God became man 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the image of God. He is the invisible one made visible. If we look at him we see God. If we listen to Him, we listen to God. If we obey Him, we obey God. If you want to know what God is like, then look at Jesus. Jesus reveals God. He is the image of the invisible God. He is God made accessible to us. So there's the first reason why Jesus is supreme. He is the image of the invisible God. But the fact that he's the image isn't just that he reveals God, 
that he makes God accessible. It also means that he rules for God. In the book of Genesis, right at the beginning of the Bible, we read that God made human beings in his image. Here's what it says in Genesis uh, chapter 1. God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the livestock and over the earth and over all the creeping things that creep on the earth. See, man is made in God's image. As humans, we're made in God's image to rule the world under him. Now, the New Testament says that Jesus is the image of God. He is the perfect human. He is the one who fulfills that human destiny to rule the world. And because, and because of that, he, he's the, he fulfills, he's not only God and the, and the revelation of God, he's actually man and what man is, is really meant to be. When the Holy Spirit says through Paul in Colossians 1.15 that Jesus is the image of God, he immediately goes on to expand on what that means. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, he is the firstborn of all creation. What does it mean he's the firstborn of all creation? It doesn't mean that he was created first and then everything else is created after him. Because the very next verse tells us that everything is created through him. What does this firstborn mean? Well again, you can look at the Bible and see, see how the Bible uses it. Right? In ancient Israel, God's firstborn was God's chosen king. Now, we read about God's chosen king in Psalm 89. Uh, Psalm 89 verse 27 talks about the king. He says, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. It means God's king, is God's heir, God's, God's ruler. But Jesus is the king. Not just the king of Israel, he says he's the firstborn of all creation. In other words, he is the one who rules everything. He's the Lord of all. Jesus rules everything because he made everything. He is supreme because he is creator. Verse 16. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, were the thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities. See, Christ, he existed way before he was born as a human being at Christmas. He's the one who created everything. He's the one who stands behind everything. Nothing existed that was not created by him. Everything in the physical world was created by him. It's everything in the universe, everything, or whatever other universes there may be. If there are others, well, doesn't matter. Everything owes its existence to Christ. Everything in the spiritual world is created by him. Whatever spirits are out there, doesn't matter. They're part of what Jesus created as well. There is nothing that exists that Jesus Christ did not create. But not only is everything created by him, it is also created for him. If you go to the end of verse 16, read this, all things were created through him and for him. You see, the whole purpose of the universe, the whole 
reason for existence. The whole meaning of life, the universe and everything is not 42. It is Christ. We are here for him. Do you want to know the meaning of life? Do you want to know what the universe is here for? Well, God tells us in the Bible that everything exists for Jesus. Everything exists for Christ. Do you live for Christ? Because if you don't, then you're not in alignment with the purpose of your existence. Everything was created for him. He is supreme. But that's not all. Verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He didn't just create everything, he sustains everything as well. It's not that he created and then he just you know, goes to sleep and everything just goes by itself. No, no. He's involved in sustaining. In him all things hold together. If it wasn't for him, we would just cease to exist. The universe is maintained by him. Jesus is supreme. He is the creator, he is the ruler, he is the sustainer. Well, now think about it, friends. Who is the creator, the ruler, and the sustainer of all? Who is the one the whole universe exists for? Well, Paul and his readers would have known from the rest of the Bible that that's God, isn't it? And yet here, the Holy Spirit, through Paul, is not shy to apply that to Christ. For everything that is true about God, it is true about Christ. Look at the first part of verse 19. He says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ. You see, Christ is God minus nothing. There is nothing about God that is not in Christ. And so when Christ became a man, as Paul will say later in chapter 2, the same letter, all the fullness of God dwelt in bodily form. God has no secret side that he hasn't revealed in Jesus. If we know Jesus, we know God. And we don't need anything else or anyone else to enlighten us about God. All the fullness of God dwells in him. Jesus is supreme because he is God. But Jesus is not just the supreme God. Remember, he is God made man. He is also the supreme man. We talked about his supremacy as man just now and we talked about uh, the fact that he is the image of God, that he rules the universe the way man was meant to. But he's supreme man in another way as well. Now look at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the ruler of the church. See, the true church, which he's talking about here, it's not an institution, it's not an organization, it's not a building. The true church consists of all those who belong to Jesus, who belong to him. Who, he is our leader, he is the firstborn, he is the king. And his kingship and his supremacy over the church is shown by the fact that he is the first one to rise victoriously from the dead. To rise from the dead in the sense that it's not just resuscitation, but he's the first of the resurrection, the new body. Paul goes on in verse 18. 
He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. He's the one who conquered death that first Easter Sunday. Rose victoriously, seen by many witnesses. Not only came alive after death, but raised immortal, never to die again. The immortal God tasted death as a man. And as a man, he defeated it for us. And so even in his humanity, Christ is supreme. But there is one more very important way in which Christ is supreme. Jesus is supreme because he is the reconciler. Look at verses 19 to 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. God's way of bringing peace to this universe is the death of that supreme one in whom all his fullness dwells. Isn't that strange? That the great and glorious God, the one by whom and through whom and for whom the whole universe was made, makes peace by subjecting himself to a cruel, painful, humiliating death. And yet, paradoxically, that shows his supremacy in the clearest way. Because it shows his character of love. Let me explain the need for that by looking at verses 21. Verse 21 we see, Paul's writing to Colossians here, he said, you, you once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. And the Colossians, who Paul was writing to, had been alienated from God. In other words, they'd been God's enemies. They were part of the human race that had rebelled against him. Their minds were corrupted, and, and that was expressed in their evil deeds, in their evil behavior. And this made them God's enemies. Now, I'm sure that some of them were nice people. I'm sure many of them loved their families, they worked hard at their jobs, they helped the needy. I'm sure some of them didn't cheat on either their taxes or their wives. I'm sure some of them were religious. But the Bible says they were God's enemies. They were alienated from God. They were estranged from Him. They weren't in good relationship with Him. Because at a fundamental level, they had not given God His rightful place in their lives. For Christ, He is the creator, he is the sustainer he is the ruler of the whole universe everything made by him and through him and for him and these guys had rejected him and ignored him and so they were God's enemies and friends we in 21st century KL have the same problem don't we some people actively reject God. They shake their fists at him and say, Get lost, God. Don't have anything to do with you. 
Some do it passively. They just ignore God as if he wasn't there. As if he didn't have the right to tell them how to run their lives. And some do it religiously. Whether it's in Christian churches or in other religions. But whatever it is, they've all still rebelled. We've all done the wrong thing. And people are trying to make it up by being religious. And yet they're not actually doing what God says they ought to do. They're doing what they think he says, or they think he should have said, because all of us are rebels. Whether we're religious or not religious, we're saying the same boat. Some people realize they've done wrong, know they're guilty before God, and they just feel lousy. Others just ignore it, or deny it, or just haven't stopped to think about it. Problems don't go away, we just don't think about them. If a surgeon tells you you've got a cancer in your body, you've got to take it out, don't you? You've got to get it taken out. You can't just say, I feel fine, and expect to go away. Or worse even, live on with the symptoms. But that's exactly what people do. Deny that there's a problem with our world. But when you look at it, you look at the wars, look at the disasters, look at the injustice, look at the immorality, look at the recession, look at the suffering, you know we've got it wrong, we've got a problem. And those are only symptoms. Every time you arrive with something wrong, we're showing symptoms as well, aren't we? And the problem is worse than cancer because cancer can take our lives. This takes our souls for eternity. Sin that makes us God's enemies. And Paul says to Colossians, you once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds used to be God's enemies. But, verse 22, no, verse 21. He has now, no it is 22, sorry. He has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death. Once you were God's enemies, he says, but now he has reconciled you. God has taken the initiative to reconcile you. And how do you do it? In his body of flesh, by his death. Jesus died in his human body to reconcile us to God. The Supreme One, the Creator, who existed before time began, died as a real flesh and blood human being. Because only a human being can take the judgment for human sin. And only God could do it for everyone. Only He is of infinite worth. And so Jesus, who is fully God and fully human, lived that perfect life in a physical human body and experienced death in that physical human body. As He experienced as a human the ultimate punishment for human sin. He made peace through His blood. His sacrifice, his sacrifice, his sacrificial death on the cross in our place. You ever play soccer or watch soccer on TV? You know what substitute is when one player comes off, another one goes on and takes their place. Jesus substituted himself for us on the cross 
the cross is the place where God's curse, where God's judgment fell on a human being for human sin and it should have been us but we got off because Jesus came on he was our substitute he took our punishment Jesus said no greater love has anyone than this that he should lay down his life for his friend but you know what it was when we were his enemies that Jesus gave his life for us and so now he has reconciled us verse 22 he has now reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him God's whole aim in the death of Jesus was to present you and me to himself on the last day at the last judgment as holy and blameless and above reproach that is completely clean and that is what Christ hath achieved for us because he took all our sin and our guilt and our shame we can be holy and blameless and free from accusation on that day I know I'm not particularly holy and blameless but the last final judgment because of Christ's physical death God's going to look at me and say Andrew holy, blameless say Evelyn free from accusation, above reproach hold nothing against you the record is clean perfect because Jesus took your sin on the cross that is why Jesus came that is what he died for to present us that way and that is what his supremacy is all about what a wonderfully supreme saviour and it's not just a negative it's not just he's taken our blame and accusation it's positive as well isn't it we consider holy set apart, belong to God in a special way holy because Jesus is holy because when we believe in Jesus as our supreme and we trust him to reconcile to us God, God joins us with him spiritually and all the benefits that he has become ours all the good things that he has won for us are ours we become holy and blameless and receive a relationship with God where God accepts us 100% because if we are in Christ then God loves us and accepts us the way he accepts Christ which is completely and our acceptance to God does not depend on how we perform it doesn't depend on us running that treadmill of performance it depends on how Jesus performed and Jesus performed perfectly Brothers and sisters, knowing these facts revolutionized my life. Because I used to think that you had to keep on performing. Trying to live up to God's standards and that God would punish me if I didn't. But, but coming to understand that God accepted me perfectly in Jesus made all the difference for me. It's so much easier to respond in love and obedience to someone you know has loved you 
and accepts you and paid the ultimate price for you. Abraham Lincoln once said that he eliminated his enemies by making them his friends. And that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus is supreme because he sacrificed himself to make us God's friends. John Newton is remembered for his famous hymn, Amazing Grace. And as he was uh, an old man, was getting a bit demented, kept on forgetting what he was meant to be preaching on when he was in the middle of the sermon. Haven't quite got to that stage yet, because I have notes, you see. But the old man, he was dithering in the middle of the sermon, couldn't remember what to say, and he said this. My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. That I am a great sinner, and that Jesus is a great saviour. And that's all you need to know, isn't it? I'm a great sinner, and Jesus is a great saviour. Friends, I know that Jesus is supreme in the universe. Because he's the creator, he's the ruler, he's the stainer of all things. We saw that earlier. But in my heart, he is supreme because he loved me and gave himself for me. Once we were God's enemies, but now he has reconciled us through Christ in his physical body to be holy and blameless in his sight. But there is one condition. There's an if. What is the one condition of being declared holy and blameless and beyond reproach at the end of time? What's, what's the if? If you perform up to expectations? If you do logistics at church? If you give lots of money, if you avoid sinning from now on, or at least remember to confess every sin you have every Sunday, if you are baptized and confirmed and go to Bible study every week, no, look at verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. What's the if? The condition of enjoying the benefits of Christ is faith in Christ, isn't it? If you continue in the faith. The Colossians had faith in Christ, and they had to keep on going. See, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Christ, if you, if you belong to him, how did you become one? Well, God worked in your heart so that you acknowledge that Jesus is supreme, that he is the ruler of all. You asked him to forgive you through his death on the cross and become your supreme ruler. You knew you'd sinned. You knew you rebelled against God, against God your creator. You deserved his punishment. But you knew that Jesus died on the cross to save you. And you placed your faith in Jesus to save you. In other words, you believe the gospel. 
And when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, God united you with him, and all the blessings of forgiveness and eternal life became yours. That's what happened to you, that's what happened to me. That is how you became a Christian, by faith in Christ. That is how you got the verdict at the end of holy and blameless, by faith in Christ. Now, how do you continue as a Christian? Not by performance. You continue in the same way as you started. By faith in Christ. Now, if you continue in the gospel, all the other good things will come as well. But that is not how we got into God's forgiveness, and that is not how we remain in God's forgiveness. You became a Christian by faith, you remain a Christian by faith. Because Jesus died for you, you are declared holy and blameless at the end. And all you have to do is to keep on in that faith. And that, my friends, is the gospel story, the good news. And Paul says at the end of verse 23 that this gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. That is, it's not just in Israel. It's a gospel message for everyone. For the whole world. It's not just for one culture. It's not just one way to God. It's not one option among many. Christ is supreme over the whole universe. This message of forgiveness, this gospel message, that is a universal thing. It is for every person on the planet. It is for you and it is for me. And it's for all the people in KL who don't yet know Jesus. Who need to hear that he's the creator and sustainer and the ruler of everything and the one who has died to reconcile us to himself. And they need to hear of the salvation that comes by faith in him. So they can be forgiven and reconciled to God. And Jesus will be acknowledged for who he really is. The supreme saviour and the supreme lord. But what if you're one of those people? What if you haven't yet put your faith in Christ? What if you haven't yet acknowledged him as your ruler and your saviour? What if you haven't yet asked him to forgive your sins and declare you holy and blameless? No, friends, perhaps today would be a good thing, good good day to do so please don't think it's not for you please don't think you're too good for it we all need Jesus to forgive us and please don't think you're too bad either Jesus' death is big enough to cover any one of us but all the benefits of Jesus' death don't come to us until we receive it for ourselves and to acknowledge him as the supreme ruler, not just of the universe, but, but our lives as well. To trust him for our forgiveness. To trust his death, not just for everyone, but for us. Because until God works in our hearts for that to happen, then we're, then we're still God's enemies. But today, can I urge you to talk to God about that? in the quietness of your heart. Ask him to forgive your rebellion for the death of Jesus on the cross. Ask him to make you one of his people 
and to make Jesus supreme in your heart and your life. I'd like us to take a few moments to consider that. On the handouts you received as you came in, where there's a sermon outline, there's a little prayer at the end of that, which you can use to pray to God and talk to Him about the things we've just been talking about. You could do that quietly and silently with you and God. Or you might want to take this time to think about what it means in your life that Jesus is supreme. I'll give us a couple of moments to be quiet and uh, talk to God.